Welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Good morning. How is everybody doing? We're all good. Yes. Andrew's heading to Poland this week. He's um, doing some work um, with a business out there, so we had to go out this morning, had to get him to the airport. And uh, yes, so that's him away. There was a few tears from the girls. Bless them. But we'll survive. I know. <laughs> Mummy was more like... Um, great we can have shepherd's pie because daddy hates shepherd's pie hates mashed potato we can have pie just all the things that andrew hates and, and guns at so we're having it we're having them all this week all the easy teas mommy's like stuff it but so so if you if you're new here with us this morning you're super super welcome and it's great to see you my glasses are steaming up a bit so i can kind of see you can't quite get this thing with the glasses right. It's always a bit of a conundrum. Um, so I wanted to call my talk, Don't Despise the Small Beginnings. And it's kind of, the Lord was putting in my heart that verse, and I'm going to talk about it um, as we go on. But I was re- realizing that we have been doing a whole lot of, of new things recently in church. There's a lot of new things starting September was the, the beginning of lots of stuff. So we started a faith foundations course on Wednesdays. We started prayer for healing every Wednesday. So remember any Wednesday night, um, if you have somebody you know who wants um, prayer, then bring them along and we want to pray with them. Um, we've started, I'm trying to remember all the things, a parenting course on Tuesday nights that started this week. And we started a youth group on Friday. So it's like loads of things starting, loads of things happening. It's been a, it's been a busy month. Let's see if I can put these on again without steaming up. And I had to kind of laugh because whenever, whenever we were starting to do the parenting thing, I thought, right, good way to advertise it would be let's do like a podcast the week before and we can kind of give people a flavor of what it's like and just because some people are kind of like, what is this thing? And so Andrew and I decided to do that and I kind of put my notes together and we discussed what we're going to say. And then see at the end of it, I was like, did I actually just talk for half an hour about what a bad parent I am? because it just felt like confession time because it had been one of those days and like just before we'd left the kids had had a fight well we'd had to pop around to drop something off to someone so we were literally out of the house for 20 minutes Andrew gets this phone call like it's all kicking off here this was Ben it's all kicking off here I just went into the room I annoyed the dog don't really know what happened it might have been my fault but then Hope and Sophie started fighting and she was pulling her hair and it's like we're only out of the house for like 15 minutes now, he is 19, so he is supposed to be responsible, but um, normally whenever Ben walks into the room, you, you sort of hear where he is around the house, because he kind of likes to agitate the girls and the dog. So, so that was all kicking off, so we kind of calmed that down and then came down here. And then, um, yeah, Sophie had had the... I was trying to explain about these consequences and how he, kids learn through consequences, so I was explaining about how Sophie had lost a jumper in school, and so I'd said, okay, rather than getting annoyed and doing that, because she does lose a lot of things, rather than doing the nagging thing, like, seriously, Sophie, oh, for goodness sake, we, I did the whole, right, okay, that's all right, then that's not a problem, we'll get you a new one, but that'll be £15. And so I explained this story, but then I happened to say... Because the reality was I hadn't sewn a name in the jumper. And that's a cardinal sin, isn't that, Mommy? He's like, that is just the word. You never don't put the name in the jumper. But it had just been a hectic week, and do you know what? It didn't happen. So, you know, I kind of felt like all the parents are going, you made that child pay £15, and it was your fault because you hadn't put the name in the jumper. And then I was talking about when the kids were younger, and they hope has, now it's not as curly, but when she was tiny, she had really, really curly hair. And she used to run away from the brush. Like, literally, every morning she saw the brush come in and she just was like, ah, don't the brush. So the whole thing with her hair was an absolute nightmare and getting it washed. 
And she used to like get into the bath and you'd like scoop up the water ready to put it on her hair and she'd start crying already. It's like, your hair's not even wet yet. Oh, it's gonna go in my eyes. It's gonna, you know, it's just this whole drama. So Andrew and I used to dread it and we used to like fight over each other. Like, you know, I'll do the dishes. No, you do the dishes. No, I'll do the dishes. Because then that meant the other one had to do the bath with the, with the two girls. So then there was this one night where it was like, Ben was wanting to get on the PlayStation early and we, we just saw this opportunity. Because we're like, Ben, do you think you could wash the girl's hair? Because you could get on the PlayStation early and then, and he was going to let the girls do something. So it was like, if the girls didn't cry, they got to do, Ben was going to let them come on the PlayStation with him. We were going to let him on early and we didn't have, we could just do the dishes in peace. So we thought, this is brilliant. And it actually worked. Like the first time, he's like, girls, don't worry. And he's pouring it on really carefully and it's all working well. And, you know, but then like, after we tried it three or four times, it didn't <laughs> quite work the same. So then I was like, did I confess that I bribed our son when he was about 12 to go? <laughs> so, so not everybody arrived at the parenting course that signed up, but hey-ho. <laughs> Who knows? But my friend did say, at least everyone knows you're just normal, Penny. But maybe I'm not. Maybe you're all horrified. But, but you know what? What I realize is, see, when you're working with children, whether it's your own kids or... Um, whether you're, you're working in, in children's work, it is a journey of faith, isn't it? Because things don't change overnight. Like, come on, it's not just my kids, but they can be hard work sometimes, can't they? Anyone? Hands up, hands up. Can we admit that? Yes, they can. Test your patience just occasionally. Sometimes the, the loving has to be a choice. Like we're doing, the, the course that we're doing is called Loving Your Kids on Purpose. And Sophie's like, do you have to purposely love me, mommy? And it's like... <laughs> Well, no, we do feel a lot of love, but sometimes there's a wee bit of a choice in there. But, you know, even like uh, I've talked with Nicola and Louise, who are amazing and run our, our kids and work. But the, um, they were saying sometimes even after, you know, working with the kids on a Sunday morning, you go home and think, did they actually learn anything? Did we teach them anything about God? Because you can't, it's, it's little by little, it's little seeds that have been sown you don't see the harvest at that time, do you? They don't come back next week and go, oh, Nicola, remember that memory verse? I've learned that whole chapter now and I, and I prayed with five, five of my friends in school and they all got saved. And I, I'm go- you, know, you don't see those things. Most of the time they're like, do you remember last week's verse? And they're all going, what, what? Do we, are we getting biscuits? Is it time to play now? Can I go to the toilet? And you're going, are we making any difference here? But I know from my kids that they come home every week they say what an amazing time they've had and they love getting here on a Sunday morning. So what you guys do is working, but it's little by little. Amen. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's this thing of we need to have this long-term view. With whatever God is doing in our lives, we need to have a long-term view of it. We can't just expect, so I prayed that prayer yesterday, why is things not changing? We sow seeds continually and believe that when we are consistent, when we persevere, when we trust and when we don't give up, we will reap a harvest. And you know, parents, we all, if you're working with kids or if you're parents or grandparents, we all just need a whole lot of grace. Because you know what? We've never been this way before. I love that on the course. It was like, kids are professional mistake makers. Like that, it's just, that's just what they're born to do. They, they've never been three before. They've never been five before or 15. They don't know what you're supposed to do at that age. So they make mistakes. And we've never been a parent of a 19-year-old before. So we don't know what to do. We make mistakes. But God has so much grace because he is so invested in family. He's so invested in church family. He's so invested in making things work. 
And I have to, I'm trying to believe that there's a special grace on your first child. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, you know when they're going to run a new program and they do like a little pilot scheme to see if it's going to work? I feel like your first child, bless them, it's that pilot scheme because like you really have no idea what you're doing, do you? So I remember I'd said this on the podcast whenever Andrew and I were allowed to bring Ben home from the hospital. You kind of feel like, seriously? Are you, do you know us? Are you really going to let us home with this little one? Because you just don't feel equipped. But God's there and his love is all over us. And so I love last week when Paul was talking about how, you know, our strength is made perfect in our weakness or his strength is made perfect in our weakness because the times when we mess up, when we fail, when we get it wrong, that's when God's grace is just pouring into us because you know what? God's plan is us. He chooses to work through imperfect people. He's just, you know, he hasn't got plan B there. He's like, you are it. You guys are it. But I am so invested in you and I am so confident about, remember that verse that Paul talked about last week, that the work he's began in us, he began it and he's going to bring it to completion. It's his work. It's not our work. We've not got to strive to make it happen. So, but this thing about the small beginnings, it's almost like we have this, um, what's that word when it's like an oxymoron? Is that the word? Because we've got a big God and God calls us to dream big. So he wants us to have these like huge, big ideas, but then he wants us to start small. And sometimes that's really hard to deal with, isn't it? It's like, dream big, go for gold, you know, believe for this, and then start small. Like the wee youth club on Friday night, all the kids in church couldn't make it apart from my two. Isn't that right? So we all arrived down, and all the, all the ladies are all raring to go. And it's like, my two roll in. And then we're waiting for the kids that had signed up online to come, but they didn't know the time, so they arrived half an hour late, wasn't it? So we, they thought, everyone thought, nobody's coming. But then, you know, it was like, and it's like the big build-up. But then the four of them had a great time, came home. My girls were like, that was fantastic. That was so good. And we know that week by week, things will build. But we can't despise the small beginnings because actually God loves small things. When he came to, to bring his son to save the world, he sent him as a baby. He comes in the small things. It wasn't like, da-da, here comes the king of the universe who's going to show everybody the way it should be. A small baby who was vulnerable. He had to flee for his life with his parents. He starts small. And even though he's an incredibly big God, he often works in the small and what seems insignificant. And we've got to be mindful of that. You know, I was out with Lauren last week. Um, Lauren and Adam are away on their second holidays they're enjoying, which is fantastic. If anyone deserves holidays, it's Adam and Lauren after everything they've walked through. And they're getting to, to be away this um, week in Croatia. So hopefully they have a good time there. But Lauren had given me some bulbs the other week. And if you know Lauren, you know she's crazy about gardening. She absolutely loves her garden. And uh, it's so funny because, you know, I, I couldn't really believe she was trusting me <laughs> with the bulbs. But she, did, she actually did say, give these to the girls, which she obviously had more confidence that the girls were going to um, sort them out. But you look at them, don't you? And you look at bulbs and they're, like, they're nothing, are they? They're just like, seriously, what, what's that going to do? Just like they look kind of dirty and insignificant. And it is an act of faith to believe, isn't it? That when you put it in the ground one day, you don't quite know when, hopefully, something beautiful is going to appear. And it reminded me of the verses in Mark, in Mark 4, 26 to 29. Because it says the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. 
But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So we don't really know how it all works, do we? All God asks us to do is to plant the seed, to sow the seed into the lives of the people around us. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to work. He's just wanting us to trust, trust in the way that he works. And we can just go about our days. We can sleep. We can eat. We can get on with things. But I actually think God loves to surprise us. He loves to actually work in unexpected ways. He doesn't want us to try and work it all out. He loves to take those small things, those insignificant things, and change them. And that's why I was choosing this verse today from Zechariah. And what I want to do is I want to look at where that verse is from and why that, why that prophet spoke those words. And Andrew's going to finish it off in the next week or so. Because this, I remember a number of years ago, God speaking to me. One of my favorite places in Northern Ireland is Tollymore. Actually, one of the very first times I came over to Northern Ireland, when I first had um, met Andrew and was getting introduced to his mom and dad, and I literally just arrived over, and it was like, oh, we're going camping tomorrow, the whole family. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it's like, we're going to Tollymore. So off I, off I went, sharing a tent with everybody. Um, but Tollymore just completely amazed me because who's been to Tollymore anybody if you haven't we need to take you there as you go down the drive there's this beautiful beautiful avenue of trees isn't there like the most amazing trees some of them must be there for a couple of hundred years like they're they're enormous I remember just thinking like oh this is so pretty I love the outdoors but then I remember driving down one time and there was these wee tiny tiny trees like kind of growing in amongst the big ones and they just look so small compared to these like incredible um, mature trees but I've, I just remember looking at them and I remember the Lord saying all of those big trees started like that all of those incredible trees that the kids love to grow in and, and play in they all started like those wee tiny trees that nobody's even looking at at the minute and it's about us looking at things in seed form and seeing things with God's eyes so I want to look at the book of Ezra which is where this whole thing story comes from because I think it's going to encourage you I want you to start to expect the unexpected. That weird thing, expect the unexpected. Be confident about what God is doing through you because he has a bigger purpose for your life. Every single one of you, God has a purpose for your life. Whether you even recognize it yet, whether you even know God closely, he, he created you for a purpose. He created you for a reason. You are unique and precious to him. And I loved this quote. It's by a guy called Gary Wilkinson. It says, you can do great things for God, or you can do small things for God that turn out to have a great impact on many people. Isn't that lovely? You can do great things for God, or you can do small things for God that can turn out to have an impact on many people. I was um, walking the dog this morning because as Andrew's off to the airport, I, normally Sunday morning's his dog walking morning because I normally do it in the week with the, take my girls to school and Sunday morning's his morning. But he's off to the airport, so I was like, I've got to take you to the airport and walk the dog and speak at church. I was feeling a bit sorry for myself this morning. And uh, as I was walking the dog, some child must have ripped up like a storybook. I'm presuming it was a child. It could have been a parent. He'd had enough of that storybook. But it was literally scattered all along North Road, this like kid's like illustrated book. And then it was down the cycleway. And then it was down like another, everywhere I went, it was like little bits of this book. It's like, you know, Hans and Gretel with a wee trail. I was thinking, that is literally blown everywhere. I don't know how many pages there are, but it's shredded. But it was like, because I knew I was talking about this this morning, it's like God said, impacts, things can go a long way. Things scatter so much further than you can ever imagine. And what that little thing started like this, together as pages, and it's now all over the place. And your impact on the people around you 
will go so much further than you can ever imagine. Your impact on one person can change their destiny, their family's destiny, the generations to come. We can't limit what God can do. So we're going to look at this story, the whole story of when the temple was rebuilt. So obviously, if you know your Bibles well, I was doing a bit of research this week because I had to get some of my dates right, but Solomon built the first temple in 957 BC. Okay, and then remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He came, um, King Nebuchadnezzar II, that's a hard thing to say. And he, um, you know, came to Jerusalem, he destroyed the temple, and that was about 597 BC. So he captured the people, the Israelites, he took them all off, and that actually marked the end of the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so most of Jerusalem's um, inhabitants, inhabitants, they got taken off to Babylon, for about 70 years, okay, and the whole of the, the temple was completely demolished, okay, and then in 15, 539 BC, you don't need to remember the dates, there's not a quiz at the end, don't worry, <laughs> there was a man called Cyrus the Great, and he decreed that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, so there's about 50,000 Jews returned under the leadership of, if I can say this right, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Sarah. I was practicing it and Andrew was just laughing at me, so I might just call him Zeb because it's going to be tricky. <laughs> but he was the governor and Joshua the high priest. So they took 50,000 people and Zechariah, who said, don't despise the small beginnings, who was a prophet, he was one of those people. Now, I just had to put this in because if you were a child of the 70s, you, will, you won't have even realized you were learning scripture from a very early age because you probably had to hear this song. Can you hear it? Do you remember it? Can we sing along? Who was it by? Boney M. Do we remember it? Hands up if you remember this. I was a child of the 70s. Look, we're all showing our age now. If you didn't, this is what we had to listen to. Remember it, everybody? (laughs) Sing along. See, it's all in there. everybody he's like 20 going oh my goodness I don't believe this okay we'll cut the song we're a bit worried about getting cut told off by YouTube for showing the videos there um do you remember that by the rivers of Babylon what I had never I'd never actually gone and looked at the scripture even though my dad when he liked a song it just was like played on repeat in the car you know I think even my girls know that song from trips with granddad but we're gonna actually look at the look at the verses By the rivers of Babylon, it's in Psalm 137. Um, We sat and wept when we remembered Zion. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. So when those guys were in exile, that's why they're, I was like, that's why Boney M wrote that song. (laughs) It all all came together. But that's what they were, they were crying out for Jerusalem because that was where they belonged and it had been stolen from them. But I want to talk to you today about the two prophets that spoke before that even happened, who spoke about what God was going to do. Because it's incredible if we start to just unpick the word and see. Isaiah prophesied 150 years before it even happened that they would return. And the incredible thing is in Isaiah's prophecy, 150 years earlier, he even names the king who God is going to use to bring his people back. Isn't that incredible? 
Isn't that incredible? 150 years before it even happens, God is telling them the rescue plan's already in place. I've already appointed the person. I've got it sorted. You don't need to fear. Okay, so we're going to look at these verses in Isaiah 44. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my promise, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And then it goes on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 45, 13. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. God goes before us. God knows what's going to happen. He knows the difficulties that you're going to face. He knows the opposition that's going to come. But he's already provided a way out. His people didn't need to fear. They didn't need to think all hope was gone because he'd already promised that he had the solution. And you know what I realized? For myself, so many times I can be consumed with the present, so consumed with what I've got in front of me, with what my eyes can see. And so many times we can just feel flawed when a problem comes our way, can't we? We can just feel flip. I just didn't see that coming. And we can start thinking, God, where are you? What's happening? This is not what I expected. But again, God wants us to have that long-term view. He wants us to look way down the line because he's there. He's already sorted it out. He's taken care of it. We are living in a broken world. We're living in an imperfect world. Things are going to come against us. The enemy does not want us to stand strong and succeed in life. But God has provided a way. And look at Jeremiah. Like I think, what's one of the most um, popular verses or or most um, well-known verses in Jeremiah? Anybody say it? Amen. Well done, you guys. You get a sticker at the end. Gold star for learning your verses. But isn't that right? Isaiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Do any of you know who that verse was written to? Do any of you know the verse before it? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, 2019. Well done, top of the class, Lawrence. Well done. That's right. Let's put it up here. So Isaiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. God prophesied way before it all happened what was going to happen to the Israelites. Yes, you're going to be taken away for 70 years, but I'm bringing you back. You don't need to fear. And that was before, way years before any of this ever took place. And what were his plans for them? Plans to prosper them, not to harm them. Plans to give them hope and a future. We speak that verse over ourselves, don't we? I declare it over my life. And yet that was declared all those years before for the people of Israel. Yes, we can claim it now and stand on that word, but it's another example of how God fulfills his promises. He wrote through Isaiah the name of the actual king he was going to use. He wrote through Jeremiah the, the, the time it was going to be. All those things are truth. God is continually revealing to us that he is true to his promises. If you ever think, how can I believe the word? Just go and study it. Just go and study the Bible. Time after time, God shows I am true. And so what was it? That, that actually happened. We're going to look at the story of Ezra. Okay, in Ezra 1, this is then what actually happened. So all these prophecies took place before the event, and then these are the actual events that happened. 
In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. Isn't that lovely? God moved his heart. There's going to be people in your world who are going to treat you differently because you have favor on your life, because you belong to the king of all kings. You're a child of God. People will treat you differently because of that. And we have to be expectant for that. We have to believe that. We have to actually think, there is favor on me. So I can go into this meeting, or I can go into this um, conversation knowing that these people are going to actually work on my behalf. Even if they don't know God, there's going to be something about me that they're drawn to me. They're drawn to bless me. They're drawn to give me special treatment. Because it's not about us boasting about ourselves. Oh, look at me. I'm a child of God. Where do you see? It's about us going, because it's about his goodness. Because every time that happens, we're revealing his glory in our lives. And it's not even like, you know, God came along and tried to twist Cyrus's arm, like, you better do this or else. You know, let's look on. If we read on, it says, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who's in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You see how much was in his heart? It's not just like, off, away you go, you Israelites, off you go, I'll let you go and do that. It's like, this is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. We're going to give you provision. We're going to give you everything you need. We're going to get, take back all the things that were stolen from the temple, from Nebuchadnezzar's reign. All of those things are going to be brought back and restored. This is about something incredible happening. But it's interesting because even though he says to all of the ones in exile, off you go, you can go back to Israel, not all of them want to go. Some of them are like, hold on a minute, kind of got used to it here, kind of like the food a bit better, don't fancy the journey, not sure what that's going to be like. And some of them stay where they are, even though they've had all these promises, even though that's their actual land, they actually choose to stay in a foreign place. And it made me realize that, you know what, not everyone is going to step out when you do. You know, maybe God's asking you to start a new work. Maybe God's asking you to do something different. Maybe God's calling you to something and you may be saying to other people about it, and they might just go, right, fair enough, or really, or well, I don't know about that. And you can't be put off by that. You have to believe what God's called you to, and not just go by what everybody else says. Because often people miss it. People can get distracted. They can get too comfortable. They can get discouraged. And maybe just the cares of, of life just come in and crowd in, and they can't actually see what God's doing. Especially when it looks small and insignificant. People will look past it, and you have to be prepared to follow what God is putting on your heart and not miss it. So we read on, it says, Then the family, heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of, of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Isn't this incredible? This just reminded me of when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Remember, and they were given all the spoils. And, uh, you know, the Egyptians just gave those, like, kind of, off you go, just take this, take this. It's that sense of, you know, when something has been robbed from you, God will pay back. God will restore, and he'll go over and above. 
And we can believe for that and trust for that, that he'll take care of us, even when he's moving us on into something different. We don't quite know what that looks like. God will provide for us. He shows us time and time again his faithfulness. And I think that's often why there's patterns in the Bible where it was like, these people are leaving and look, they got given things again. Well, this reminds me of Egypt. He wants us to see the pattern. He wants us to recognize so that when things are happening and we're not sure what, you know, what's going to happen if I venture out, it's like, trust me, see how I've treated my people, see how I've taken care of them. He wants us to recognize that it's always his heart to bless. It's always his heart to take care of us. You know, as a church at the minute, we're looking for a new building and we don't have one yet and we can't stay here forever. Um, well, we can, but we'll just need to pay lots more money that we don't think it's really worth. So <laughs> we're going to go at some stage. And yet, you know, I'm probably the most relaxed about this. Now I could be in complete denial and, you know, could all, <laughs> could all go wrong. But I believe that God's going to show us favor. I believe that God's going to open doors. I believe that people, even though they don't know Jesus, are going to be drawn to deal with us differently because they see there's something about us. Even if they can't put their finger on it, there's something about those people. And we want to bless them. And I think God is calling us at this time to, to fix our eyes on that, to imagine that, to make that more and more real to us so that we step into it. And it might not all be plain sailing. It might be a little bit bumpy at times because there will be opposition. We're going to see in this story how there's opposition to the work there's people who've got different opinions. There's people who try and come against them. But we have to keep trusting and keeping our eyes on Jesus. So I want to talk about the guy, Zeb. I won't say his whole name so I don't get it wrong. But actually, his name is important because his name actually meant it planted in Babylon. And I kind of think, whoever gave him that name obviously wasn't listening to the prophecies, weren't they? They obviously weren't believing in that you'll only be here for 70 years and don't worry, King Cyrus is going to come along. Because they called him planted in Babylon. It's not like, you know, son of promise or son of deliverance or whatever. It's like, you're stuck here, mate. You're here and you're not going anywhere. But we learn about Zerubbabel. He can't say his name. He was actually a descendant of the royal line of David. So even if they'd thought about it, like, you're called to greatness. Your line, your heritage is called to greatness. Something, your kingdom is going to be established forever. But they're still called and planted in Babylon. And it made me think about, you know, there's things that at times we're called. There's maybe things that people have said to us that we take on board. And we don't need to do that. We only need to take on board what God says about us. And I wrote this down, your current circumstance does not determine your future destiny. Your current circumstance, his current circumstance didn't determine his future destiny. Even though his mother had said, planted in Babylon, that's not where he was staying. God had more for him. So it doesn't matter what we've been called. He, he chose to leave behind. He, didn't, he wasn't one of the people who said, you know what, Babylon's not so bad. I'm sure I'm called, planted in Babylon, I better stay here. I've got a way out. He was like, no, I'm going to believe for more. So he left with the 50,000 people and Joshua, and they started on this trek back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And if you look at the story, it's really interesting where they started, because beginnings matter. And how we do things matter. And if we read in Ezra, it says, the first thing they did was they set the altar in its place. For fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, because other people were into Jerusalem. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. What did they put at the very center of their work? What was the central thing to start the new work? 
they placed the altar and they made a sacrifice. And that was a pattern throughout scripture of building an altar, putting, making, you know, giving the sacrifice. Abraham did it, Isaac did it, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Saul, David, all were people who built altars. Because the altar was that place of exchange, the exchange of the divine and the human world where they became connected. It was that place of sacrifice, a place of repentance, a place where people rededicated themselves. And I think today, before we start any work, we come and we put Jesus and his sacrifice at the very center of it. What he has done for us, how actually this work is all about him. It's not about ourselves. It's not about what we can do. It's not about our striving or trying or our effort. It's about Jesus. You're first. Only you. It's only about you being glorified. It's only about you being lifted up. And it's at that place where we come, where we actually, we come to a place of repentance where we go, you know, God, I might think it should be this way or I might believe this about it, but actually, what do you say? What's your heart? Where we leave our thinking behind, our perspective, the plans that we've maybe made, and we recognize there's a higher way to see this. There's a new way to see this, seeing it from Jesus' eyes. And do you know what I think for Zerubbabel, or whatever his name is, can't say it properly. I'm giving up now, Zeb. He probably looked ridiculous, didn't it? Like he got all of these 50,000 people, we're going to rebuild the temple. They're probably thinking, right, okay, what's, what needs to come first? What should we do? What's the plan? But the very thing that they started was the sacrifice. And probably people were thinking, do you not want to go and get a load of bricks? Like, seriously, let's, let's get teams together. Like, let's work out who can, you know, cut the wood up or whatever, whatever needs to be done. And yet they started morning and night, morning and night, given sacrifices. It's, um, it's just incredible, I think, today. We don't need to make a sacrifice. It's already been made for us. Jesus has made the sacrifice on our behalf, but it's about us acknowledging what he's done for us. It's about us reminding ourselves that it's only by grace, it's only by faith that we're going to receive this grace that Jesus made available to us. And he's got to be our focus because everything is going to flow from his presence. When we draw close to him, when we hear his heartbeat, when we realize what he's done and how much he loves his world, then that's where everything's going to flow. We're not going to strive for things. We're not going to put all our self into it. We're going to see it's about him. And, you know, Andrew's going to carry on next week because we're going to look at the opposition that Zeb comes up against how he gets discouraged, how he thinks, what am I doing here? How actually things don't go quite to plan. And that's kind of life, isn't it? No. I think about this church and I think about our journey and I know there were years we were discouraged. Things weren't going to plan. We probably just kept going, but probably not with faith and hope and de declaring all that God had for us. Probably at times just grinning and bearing and, and, and carrying things on, our, on our, our own back when we shouldn't have. Because we don't get everything right. It's a journey. Just like as parents, we don't get everything right. It's a journey. We learn constantly because we get things wrong. We come back and we lay things down again. But what changed for Zerubbabel, whatever his name is, it's getting worse, was that the word of the Lord came to him. And so we're going to look at these verses when Zechariah the prophet came and spoke into his life. 
And he said, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You know, whatever God's calling you for today, he's not sent you to try and do it alone. None of you have been called to try and work this out on your own. Just like I said at the beginning, God just loves small beginnings. He loves things that just look insignificant because that's probably where he does his work, where he shows his glory because he comes in and goes, you know, nobody's expecting this, but where do you see what I can do? What I see, what I can do through you. And it is that sense of just every day walking in faith. You know, if you're a parent at home with little kids every day and you're thinking, seriously, I can't bother to read that story again. Like, same story. Again, you know, word by word, but you do it anyway. Or you show them how to tie the shoelaces and they're going, I want to do it myself. And you're like, oh, I've got to get out the door. And all those little things that we do, teaching them how to share, all those little things that seem insignificant and yet... In a few years, when they're, you know, one day going to be training their own kids, you're going to think, wow, they actually listened. I was laughing at Ben recently. He'd had to go and do a video job somewhere, and there was a load of families, and uh, kids weren't doing as they were told, and kids were on phones. I can't remember what it was, but it's like, well, it was like ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Like, like, why were they just letting them have those phones, like, when they wanted? And flip, like, I mean, like, you never let me do that. You know, you would have said this. And I'm thinking, all the abuse I used to take, all of the, like, for goodness sake, I'm the only one who doesn't have this. I'm, you know, and he was then lecturing me about what these parents should have been doing. You know, and I just thought, oh, it actually went in. <laughs> he actually listened, even though he didn't like it. He was actually sort of saying, you know, so he should be maybe advertising my parenting course. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> that would be scary. Um, but, you know, there's so many things where it can feel insignificant. You might be, you know, looking after an elderly relative at the moment, where just day by day... You're just doing the same thing and you might be visiting somebody and you think, I don't even know if they know I'm here. God knows you're there. God sees everything that you do and none of it is insignificant to him. It matters to him. And he delights in those small things. And he doesn't want us to do it in our own effort. He doesn't want us to strive. He says his yoke is easy. His burden is light. So it's not that there's not going to be difficulty. It's not that there's not going to be times when things going in a different direction, but it's about us trusting and believing that that work he's begun in us, like Paul was talking about last week, he is going to complete it. So I want to encourage you today to expect the unexpected, okay? If you've limited God in some way over a certain area in your life and you've just thought that's just the way it is, just stop again and think, no God, you want me to believe differently about that. You want me to expect different things. I want you to expect to experience favor, there's a situation that you're in and you're just thinking, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know really. I don't know what they think of me or whether they'll choose me. Or I want you to expect to experience favor, to know that there's something special about you, that people see something in you that's different. I want you to expect to walk into the promises. The children of Israel, some of them had just forgotten all those prophecies. Even though they'd been spoken, some of them were just like, now nah, we'll stay in Babylon. This will do. Don't just settle for what you have. Don't just settle. But believe in the words that have been spoken over to you. And even if it feels like it's very small, don't be discouraged because God loves the small things. And I want to finish with this verse. as in Matthew 13. 
And it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard, seed, sorry, that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Isn't that lovely? It starts so small, so small, and yet it grows to something that's incredible. So I actually want to um, get people to respond today. So Johnny, if you want to maybe do the pads of glory or whatever they get called, just some music in the background. Because I want to give you guys an opportunity. If, if you're sitting here thinking, I haven't been expecting things to change, have settled, I haven't been expecting favor in certain areas, I haven't been holding on to promises. If you have been thinking, there's something that I'm, you know, I want to step out into, but I do feel vulnerable. I don't know whether to step out or not, whether everyone's going to think I'm stupid. I just want, you know, just, if you wouldn't mind, just come to the front because I want to pray with you. Should we all stand? Because we're going to worship in a minute anyway. But if you feel that you would just like to come to God and just say, do you know what? I haven't been expecting something different and I want to. If you just come now to the front, anybody who feels they want to respond, just come to the front. If you've settled, if you've just thought, I don't know, I'm not believing for all of the good things. If you want to experience favor, if you feel vulnerable about stepping out into something, just come on up, come on up to the front and receive. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it, in a room full of people? But remember the Lord just wants to speak directly to you. He wants to love on you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to speak life into you. Because his heart is good father. And he loves to pour out blessing on his children. Father, I thank you for people who've responded in their seats and people who've come to the front, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have good things for us. You have good things for us. Jesus, you never despise small beginnings. Lord, you want us to dream big, but start small and not be afraid because you're with us, Lord. You're with us every day, Jesus, and you guide us by your Holy Spirit, Lord. You give us the guidance we need. You give us the wisdom that we need. You give us the energy that we need. You give us the strength we need, Lord. You give us hope, hope in our hearts, Jesus. Lord, for you know the plans you have for us, Lord, to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us hope and a future thank you Jesus for the future that you have for every single person here every single person you know them by name you know them by name you know every hair on our head you say in your word every single thing about us and you love us so deeply and you want us just to receive all of your love all of that grace so I speak grace and favour over people today favour to step into situations they never thought they could to expect the unexpected, to believe 
way beyond anything they could ask, hope, or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. If the worship team could come up, we're going to take an offering in a minute. And uh, remember, we always say you'll never hear about, we'll never talk about money before we talk about Jesus because Jesus is the one we want you to meet every Sunday. And the Lord only asks us to give because he wants to free us from every fear. A lot of us have fear over finances, fear over being provided for, fear about taking care of our families. And the way it works in the kingdom, it's like upside down. Lord says, you give to me and I will pull back so much more to provide for every single one of your needs. And when people bring a tithe, it's because the tenth represents the whole. It's like we give God everything. We give him everything. And then he says, look, where do you see how much more I can pour into you? Because I just want you to trust me. Trust who I am. Trust in my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that you're speaking to hearts and minds. We thank you that every person here matters to you. Every single person here is precious to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.